my welcome to you. If you're not a regular part of First Baptist Church of Cambria, welcome. If you are a regular part of First Baptist Church of Cambria, you're still welcome. <laughs> I still wa I want to take this opportunity to invite the children to be dismissed to Children's Church. Someone will be back to back to lead you to class. The rest of you, he is risen. Oh, thank you. Well, sometimes I like to do that in Russian to see if anybody in the audience knows the response. Jesus las cres. He is risen indeed. Baistinu vas cres. Now, this is that time of year. It's, it's kind of, uh, I don't know, to some people it seems like the, uh, the second chapter to Christmas, doesn't it? Uh, we have important times that we celebrate as believers. And uh, the world has its own celebrations, too. And uh, it seems like oftentimes Christmas gets the most billing, gets the, the most promotion. And yet, for me, and I think for you, this is the most important time that we actually celebrate as believers during the year. It is a, a critically important time for us. A quote here I have is, The argument has persisted for over 2,000 years. As Christianity celebrates its most holy day each year, the old contentions resurface with new information to try and discredit history's most important event. Yet within the arguments of those who deny Christ's finished work on the cross are the irrefutable truths of the resurrection, as well as the bedrock of the believer's hope for eternity. You know, in our society today, the issues such as faith in Christ, uh, uh, Christ's virgin birth, and his resurrection are debated openly in just about any imaginable venue. There are all sorts of hot-button issues that blaze across the covers of popular magazines uh, that contain passionate arguments both for and against those issues such as the resurrection. On television, we see the, the talking heads that will make their arguments with all sincerity looking directly into the camera. We see and hear religion writers, worldly commentators that invite their readers into to the battle, if you will, pushing us to make a decision about what we truly believe. And when it's all said and done, any debate, any discussion, or any documentary that seriously looks into the core of Christianity also has to deal with the provocative words spoken by Jesus himself in John chapter 11. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. As the foundation of our faith, Jesus' resurrection is exactly what sets Christianity apart from all other world religions. We have the only deity who is still alive. All others have died and are in their grave. And before we examine why this is so important, I want us to look at four elements of our faith that do not stand as the foundation of our faith. They're important elements, but they are not the foundation of our faith. And just hang on to your seats 
I know if you have tomatoes beside you, do not throw them yet. But the first of these elements is the teaching of Jesus Christ or any ideology that is developed from it. Very important. But the teachings of Jesus are not the foundation, the bedrock of our faith. Secondly, is our worldview as Christians. Again, very critical, but not foundation. Thirdly, the life of Jesus with all his compassionate miracles. Incredibly important. Not foundational. And finally, the death of Jesus Christ is not foundational in our faith. Does that surprise you now with those four things that I said those? I think you'll see soon that they are valid points. The fact is, again, all leaders of all world faiths and religions have died. Because of that, Jesus Christ is not unique in his death on the cross. He too died just like they did. But what makes him unique, again, is that he is the only one that has risen from the grave. Amen? Amen. So therefore, the foundation of our faith rests squarely on this singular distinctive, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the well-established record of his resurrection. He said in advance that he would die and that he would rise again in three days. Now, while his chosen 12 may have missed the promise, the fulfillment of it convinced them that he was, in fact, God's only begotten son. Wilbur Smith, who studied at Dallas Theological Seminary and served as faculty at, at Moody Bible Institute and the Fuller Theological Seminary and Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, wrote this. He said that he was going up to Jerusalem to die is not so remarkable, though all the details about his death, weeks and months before he died, are together a prophetic phenomenon. But when Jesus said that he himself would rise again from the dead the third day after he was crucified, he said something that only a fool would dare say, unless he was sure. No founder of any world religion ever dared say a thing like that, that he would rise again. So we asked this morning, does the resurrection really matter? Well, does it? Yes, it does. It matters to a lot of different people, and we're going to talk about them right now. First of all, the resurrection matters to Christ. Firstly, because it vindicates Christ's words. From Luke chapter 24, verses 6 to 8, He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise. And they remembered his words. In that incredible testimony that we have in Luke 24, we're reminded that Jesus promised his death and resurrection. Even his enemies heard it. And some of them believed it. And they were all afraid of it. We see the fear of the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 27. When they go to Pilate and they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. 
and the last deception would be worse than the first. Jesus undeniably foretold his resurrection. Even though those that were hostile toward him were convinced that they, so convinced that they tried to prevent the fulfillment of his promise. And he had kept his word up to that point, and they were afraid he was going to continue to do it. If there had been no resurrection, everything else that Jesus said would have been discredited, which would prove him to be a fraud, and it would render our faith without its foundation. Secondly, the resurrection is important to Christ because it validates his work. His sacrificial death on the cross paid the penalty for our sin. But if he had failed to rise again, how would we ever know that his sacrifice was accepted as the final payment? Beyond that, had he not demonstrated his power over the grave by resurrecting and giving us the gift of eternal life, we would simply go to our graves forgiven, but dead. It is him and his resurrection that gives us the promise of eternity with God. He did rise again. Therefore, the cross paid our sin debt, and the resurrection served as God's receipt, testifying that payment was made in full. Romans 8.34 says this, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Time and time again in Scripture, Christ's death and resurrection are linked together as two components of a singular event, the complete payment for our sin and our trespasses. Thirdly, it's important to Christ because it verifies his worth. If Christ's story had ended on the cross, Jesus might have been remembered for for his miracles. He might have been revered as a good and righteous man. Or he might have been remembered as a man who taught good things. But when he rose from the grave and brought with him the power over death and eternal life for all of it would be that would believe in him, he became more than just a pleasant memory for us. He's more than just a martyr. He is our Savior and our Master, our Lord. So the resurrection is important to Christ. Secondly... The resurrection matters to critics. Not only does it matter to Jesus, it matters to everyone who is critical of the Christian faith. Every year, we have new books, new TV documentaries, incisive articles, blockbuster movies, a number of attempts to debunk Christianity. By the way, have you noticed how many movies there are? And they start way back in the days when movies first began. We have the Ten Commandments and the robe and Ben-Hur and the greatest story ever told. And uh, I'm 62, so I don't remember all of them now. <laughs> Risen is a new movie that's out. The Young Messiah is new out just these last couple of weeks. Constantly wanting to bring the story out, and yet they never handle it exactly right, do they? It seems they never, they never can get it right. In April of 2007... A lady named Rachel Zoll wrote an article for the San Diego Union Tribune. And the the article was uh, entitled, Attacks on the Church are Big Business, 
during holy days. Listen to what her article said. This year's outrage for the Christians was The Lost Tomb of Jesus, a documentary suggesting that a South Jerusalem cave discovered in 1980 contained the remains of Jesus, which of course indicated that he was not resurrected. The filmmakers also suggest that Mary Magdalene was buried in the tomb, that she and Jesus were married, and that the stone box labeled Judah, son of Jesus, belonged to their son. The documentary was unveiled six days into Lent by James Cameron, the Oscar-winning producer and director of Titanic. But Dr. Gary Haberman, who was a specialist in history, philosophy, and in Christian apologetics, said, well, it's good TV, it's bad history, and bad science. Later, you may remember Dan Brown's blockbuster novel and movie, The Da Vinci Code, that envisioned a Roman Catholic conspiracy to hide Jesus' marriage. There always have been, and there probably always will be, attempts to undermine Christianity by casting doubt on the veracity of the resurrection. If they can destroy that, they'll have destroyed the faith. But none of those attempts at debunking the resurrection have ever held up under scholarly scrutiny. I want us to take a a few moments, and you're probably familiar with at least most of these, but I want to look at three popular theories that attempt to destroy the historicity, if you will, of the resurrection. The first one is the wrong tomb theory. According to a critic named Kersop Lake, the women who first went to the tomb and found Christ's body missing had mistakenly gone to the wrong tomb. Of course, uh, that means that the disciples also went to the wrong tomb when they went to confirm what they had heard. And oh, by the way, <laughs> those angels from God also got the wrong tomb. And maybe the most damaging thing to this theory is that the Jewish leaders that sought to disprove the resurrection, if they could, and they had the wrong tomb, they would have immediately gone to the right tomb and said, no, look, see, here's his body. But they did not do that, did they? They got the right tomb all right, and it was empty. Secondly is, and this, this one just cracks me up, but this one is called the swoon theory. In 1965, Hugh Schoenfeld published a book entitled The Passover Plot that was made into a popular movie in about 1976. This book, novel, movie, promoted a theory that was put forth centuries ago by a critic of the resurrection named Venturini. And according to his theory, Jesus did not die on the cross. He fainted from exhaustion and from blood loss, and then he later revived. Now, for that theory to be true, his theory would have to suppose that Christ survived a six-hour crucifixion. I don't know if you've ever really gone through that as a study of what the crucifixion was and how devastating physically it was to hang on that cross. But just hanging on the cross was physically terrible. 
Jesus also, though, had a spear wound, did he not? Oh, and let's not forget the scourging he got before he even got there. So he would have had to have survived those things. And then he would have had to survive three days of hypothermia in a cold cave, hemorrhaging in, in that cold tomb. And then, in his weakened condition, he would have had to have drug himself off of that table and gone over and moved that huge boulder all by himself and escaped without any of the soldiers that were guarding the tomb seeing him. Now, is that really believable? And yet there are those critics who will cling to that theory. Oh, and Jesus was also able after that to convince his disciples of his miraculous resurrection and a glorified body in that weakened condition. The third theory is one that was started the day of the resurrection, and it has continued since, and that is the stolen body theory. In this theory, the same disciples who had already proven themselves to be cowards by forsaking Jesus at his arrest, except for John, who went with him all the way to the foot of the cross, and they fled the temple guards during the trial, and suddenly they found the courage to suddenly go and face the detachment of Roman soldiers and temporal guards that were guarding the tomb. Now, I understand also those guards were there under the threat of their own lives if anything happened to that body. If he gets out of there, you die. Well, clearly this theory assumes that they were, the, the disciples were successful in going to the tomb, somehow confronting the guards without them knowing they were being confronted, rolling the stone away, and skipping out of there with Jesus' body. And oh, by the way, they left the grave clothes there. The one major weakness in this theory is those disciples later suffered through unimaginable torture and cruelties and martyrdom for the resurrection. Now, as human beings, having known that they had stolen Jesus' body and knowing that they had fooled the guards, do you think that they would have endured those hardships? All of them would have gone to their deaths, their martyrs' deaths, protect a lie would we no we wouldn't it's not human nature so the resurrection was has been important to critics ever since it occurred thirdly the resurrection matters to us as Christians if the resurrection didn't did not occur occur scripture tells us that we're no better off than wrong than common roadkill when we die life is over forever of course since 100% of us will die we're all candidates for the hope that Christ offers the hope of the resurrection his resurrection prepares us for our future whether it be at 1130 or whether it be hundreds of years from now hundreds of years from now where is our future It's not here. It's in heaven with the Lord. 
There's a story of a, a dying woman who asked God to let her live until her daughter's wedding. Elizabeth might appreciate this. After the wedding, her doctor, who knew that she had made a deal with the Lord, said, well, God gave you your wish. You attended your daughter's wedding. And she said, ah, but doctor, I have two more daughters. <laughs> and you have three. <laughs> so regardless of what we might think, there is no amount of bargaining that will keep us from keeping that inevitable appointment with death. Death is part of living for us, is it not? So we're all going to make that appointment. And yet if we have put our faith in Jesus, and because he did rise from his grave, we don't have to be in fear or denial of death. Because we don't die. Amen? Amen. See, we, have, we need to have a, a, a proper perspective an eternal perspective, if you will. That is, death is just a temporary thing that we experience. Our spirits don't die. And according to Scripture, our bodies will be changed and eventually reunited with our spirits. In Eugene Peterson's contemporary uh, language Bible, The Message, he has a wonderful paraphrase of Romans chapter 6, verses 6 to 10, that I want to read for you. It describes this hope we have in the future in modern terminology. He says, what we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Hmm, I like that statement. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. See, our physical life is, is a mere moment compared to eternity. Even if we make it to 100, 110, I, I think I saw the oldest human right now is 112. I've heard him as high as 121. But our life here, no matter how long it might be, is just a blip compared to eternity. And that eternity was purchased for us and given as a gift through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from that grave. His resurrection guarantees us a future hope. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 to 18 say, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. According to Paul, without the resurrection, we cannot have eternal life. If Christ did not rise from the grave, we have no hope of doing so either. So Paul pins the believer's future directly on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And praise God, we have all kinds of evidence that he did raise, don't we? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, he reminds the believers in Thessalonica that while they sorrowed in death, hope still remained available to them. He said, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, 
about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. This passage is one I use a lot at memorial services. Because it is that is hope, that hope of resurrection, that everybody that is there at a memorial service needs to hear. Some who know Jesus Christ and many who don't. They need to know that the person they're there to memorialize is not dead if they believe in Christ. When we as Christians lose someone that is very special to us, a loved one, whether it's in death, of course there's sorrow. We're sorry to lose that relationship. That hurts. But there's not despair because we have a hope of an assurance that Jesus rose in victory over death. By that, those who die in him will also rise in death. And at some point in heaven, there is great reunion. Is there not? We need not be burdened by the sense of finality that comes at a funeral or the devastation of total loss like unbelievers feel because we have that hope of tomorrow. Jesus promised that like him, we will be raised from the grave and reunited with those that we love. And that is the hope of the resurrection. His resurrection guarantees us also a future home. John 14, verses 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. There is a promise to cling to, isn't it? Amen. He guarantees us not only hope, but he guarantees us a home. Even those who don't believe anything else, many of them believe in a, in a hereafter. And I believe that's kind of built into each one of us, you know, that, that eternal hole in our heart. And I believe that someday we're all going to live eternally. Most of us in this room will live in the presence of God in heaven. But those who don't have that belief, who don't have that hope, will live forever in the absence of God, or hell as we call it. The only way to get to heaven, Christ told us. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is God's word, and I believe it. Amen? Thirdly, his resurrection prepares not only a hope and a home for us, but it prepares us for the present, for today. As believers, we're filled with the hope that sustains us in our daily lives because he lives. There is an old adage that says, if you get heaven straightened out, you'll get earth straightened out. What carries us through each day is the hope for a better tomorrow. We know that Jesus triumphed over death. You can know that. You don't have to just hope for that. You can know that. And we know that he will triumph over evil because he already triumphed over devil and evil on the cross. He won that battle. So I want to ask you this morning. 
Does Easter really matter? Indeed it does. The resurrection is our hope for tomorrow. It's a, the proof of triumph over evil and of sin. And that very hope puts eternity in our hearts. And it makes our hope of heaven sure. So let me just close today by saying to those of you who know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Hallelujah. You know the Lord. You have that hope. You have that guaranteed home. You have that guaranteed future. And praise him for that. But let me also say, if there's somebody in this room today that you're here because it's Easter and you know it's a, a good place to be on Easter, and yet you've never really taken that step of giving your life to Jesus Christ, of accepting and believing that he is who he said he was, who all the, the documentation from history, from scripture, and the world document that he was who he said he was. If you've never gotten to that place, let me encourage you. Don't leave here today w without making that decision. Take with you today from this place that hope in eternal tomorrow, that hope in a place, a home to live. Take it with you and give it to somebody else. Would you pray with me? Father, this is a time of day when, or a time of year when we get together to celebrate the singular most important event in the history of mankind. A time when we celebrate in spite of the ugliness of the, the scourging that you received and your death on the cross that that grave they placed you in did not have the final word. That in fact you have the final word. You, our creator, gained victory over death, victory over sin, victory over evil. And then you, you give that back to us. That because you rose from the grave, we can be assured that we too can rise from our graves one day. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for a love that was so incredible that it would not rest with us in the grave. That you made a way for us to be reconciled to you in heaven for eternity. Through that two-element singular event, the death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. We are so grateful and thankful. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.